the Pattons were missionaries to the New Hebrides, what is um, now Vanuatu. I'm sure you know exactly where that is. Just outside of Australia, sort of between that and Hawaii, but closer to Australia. But there were missionaries there, and they tell a story of one night their missionary headquarters being surrounded by natives who were intent on burning down the, the missionary headquarters and killing the missionaries. And so as you can imagine, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Patton were engaged in fervent prayer that night, praying to the Lord to help them, uh, to deliver them. And it was a terror-filled night. Well, when morning came, they look and all the natives are gone. No explanation, no more danger. They thanked God and moved on. Well, about a year later, the chief of that tribe was converted. Came to Christ through the preaching of the gospel. And they asked him, why did y'all leave on that night? And the chief said, where are all the men that are here around you? So we saw men around your headquarters wearing shining garments with swords drawn. Where are they? And they told him, there were no men here. It was only us praying. Evidently, the Lord had intervened in that situation, had delivered his missionaries and the fruit of that deliverance, even though those people wanted to kill them, is that the chief and then a lot of the people were converted and brought to Christ. So it's an illustration of God's delivering his people from danger. But there's another side to the story, because that's not always the way it happens. The ones who came to mind for me were Jim Elliott. We've heard of him more than some of the other guys with him. But Jim Elliott, Ed McCulley, Roger Uderin, Pete Fleming, and Nate Saint, who was their pilot, they were all slaughtered by Alka Indians. That word Alka means savage. After having some success in trying to reach them and connect with them with the gospel, by the river there, they were slaughtered, killed, martyred. And that was just as much in God's purpose and plan as the deliverance of the others. And it's read through Gates of Splendor. Read some of the other books of the story. Um, you can see how uh, even Jim Elliott's family and others, others who were martyrs' family, they, they stayed there. They went back there. They continued reaching out to these people. And eventually, a lot of them were converted. There's even some funny stories about one of them being brought to America and seeing all of the the technology and stuff that we have. But one set of missionaries were slaughtered, were killed. Another set were protected. But in both instances, the gospel continued to go out. The mission continued to be accomplished. And souls continued to be brought to Christ. And that's really what we see going on in chapter 12 of Acts. Sometimes we skip over James to get to Peter and talk about Peter's deliverance. And it's a great story. But there's more to the story here in chapter 12. And we'll see that this morning. James is killed and Peter is delivered from the plans of Herod Agrippa. And what I want you to see this morning as we look at both of these instances is that God always delivers his children. Sometimes through death and other times from death. 
all in accord with his sovereign purpose. God always delivers his children, sometimes through death and other times from death in accord with his sovereign purpose. And actually in our lives, God always delivers us on a daily basis, either through the trials or from the trials. Sometimes he does take us out. But, but martyrdom is sort of in the picture here, and, and one is martyred and the other is delivered, and, and I wanted to focus on that this morning. A martyr is simply one who has died for Christ and the gospel. But look first at Herod. I titled this little segment, uh, which will go quick, Murder Runs in the Family, <laughs> verses 1 and 2. It says this, about that time, see the church is progressing, it's going well, churches are being planted Herod, though, a wicked ruler, seeks to change that. It says, about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Now, this Herod, this is not the same Herod that was the, the Herod who slaughtered the innocents when he was trying to kill Jesus when Jesus was born. That was his granddaddy. So that was Herod the Great who slaughtered the innocent children up to age two in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. He was trying to stamp out the Messiah. That's how arrogant he was. This is Herod, a different Herod. This is his grandson. This is Herod Agrippa I. And it says that he, like grandfather, like you know, son, like son's son, like grandson, Murder is running in the family. Pleasing men is running in the family. Living on the fear of men. And so Herod was popular with the Jews. And so part of that popularity probably fed into him persecuting the church. Because the Jews did not want the church to continue to flourish in Jerusalem. So it says that he laid violent hands. That doesn't mean he personally went out and laid hands on the people. Him being the king ordered that they be arrested, that they be tried, that they be convicted, uh, that they be killed. He laid violent hands. He had evil intention. And he wanted to wipe out the church there in Jerusalem. Another person had already tried that, named Saul, who ended up being converted and came back and now was teaching in Antioch. But, but he's trying to wipe out the church. And it would seem to some extent that he was sort of succeeding. Verse 2 says this. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. So the evil one always wants to destroy the church. And the evil one use, uses wicked rulers sometimes from on high to try to wipe out the church. And the wicked rulers sometimes seem to be succeeding. Point number two from verse 2 is delivered through death. I don't want us to skip over James. I want us to think about James a little bit. It won't take us long. But James, just as much in the will of God as Peter, an apostle like Peter, James was not delivered from death. It says in verse 2 that he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And again, that doesn't mean that Herod Agrippa went and actually did the killing. He had him arrested, he had him mock tried, and he had him executed. Probably beheaded. And there's, a, there's sort of a traditional story that one of the false witnesses who witnessed against James ended up repenting of that through James preaching the gospel through his persecution and rejecting his testimony and ended up being beheaded with James. Now that's tradition. I can't prove that. 
But who is this James? Because you read Scripture, you see a lot of James. Well, thankfully we're told he's the brother of John. He's one of the sons of thunder. He's one of the ones that would call down lightning from heaven on people who, who didn't believe in Jesus. And Jesus had to, to stay them a bit. But he is the son of Zebedee. He's the brother of the apostle John. One of the sons of thunder. He's not the brother of Jesus, which we see later in the text. And it says this. He killed James. It's very matter of fact. He killed James, the brother of John. He killed the Apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John and the Epistles of John, he killed his brother with the sword. He killed him with the sword. He had him put to death. And you know that as James is arrested and as James is being tried, that the church is praying for James. But God's answer in this instance was, it was James' time to go to heaven. It was James' time to be in the presence of Christ. It was James, the brother of John's time to be delivered through death. And why would I say that he's delivered through death? Why is martyrdom a deliverance? Well, the scripture teaches, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Psalm says that. Why? Because when, when His saints pass from this life, they are set free. Set free. The Spirit is set free from sin. Now the body waits in the grave as we'll see. Let me, let me show you Westminster Shorter Catechism verse 37. It's the catechism I know best. That's why I use it. But verse, uh, not verse 37, question 37 says this. Now this would do you good because this is summarizing what Scripture teaches. And you can go back and look at it and see the Scripture references if you want to. I'm not going to spend a long time on this this morning. But the catechism asks, what benefits do believers receive from Christ at death? Now listen to this answer. The souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness. Set free from sin. And do immediately. See, there's no soul sleep. There's no waiting. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, Paul teaches in Corinthians. The souls of believers at their death are made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory. To Christ's presence, to be with Him. And their bodies, being still united to Christ, do rest in the grave until the resurrection. So when Christ returns, if we, if we die before Christ returns, our spirit man, our, our real person, our inner man, will, will go to be with Him immediately. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. The body will rest in the grave until Christ returns. When Christ returns, we'll come with Him bodily resurrected, reunited with a new body, not this old broken down one that we have now. Some of you young people can't relate to that, but the older you get, the more you look forward to your new body. We're made perfect in holiness when we pass. We immediately pass into glory. Our bodies wait on the resurrection, but we are with Christ, our Savior. James, when he was beheaded, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Immediately. So he was delivered. but delivered through martyrdom. And God used that just as much as He used any other martyr. 
that's ever lived. But Herod, the wicked ruler, had James killed. That seems like a success. We'll talk more about that later. So delivered through death is James. And I just didn't want to skip over that. There's, the longer section is on Peter. And look at what it says in the rest of, uh, in verse 3. This is delivered from death. For a time anyway. We know that Peter's eventually martyred, but. In verse 3, it says that he, he saw that it pleased, this is Herod, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to rest Peter also. And listen, his intentions for Peter are the same as his intentions were for James. Is to have him mock tried, executed, gotten rid of. But it says he, he proceeds to arrest Peter. It's during the days of unleavened bread, which is part, you know, even called Passover sometimes. It's the seven days. Um, after that. But when he, when he had seized him, he put him in prison. Seeing, seeing that nobody could be executed during Passover. So he's got to put him in prison and wait a little while before he can accomplish his purposes. And because we, we've already seen in chapter 5, angels getting involved and, and setting apostles free so that they go preach back in the temple and all of that. So he's aware of that and he wants to be sure that Peter is well guarded. I don't know what he thinks he can do and presence of an angel but maybe he doesn't believe in him maybe you don't believe in him we'll talk about that in a minute but it says he had him arrested and he had him imprisoned it says when he had seized him he put him in prison verse four look at watch this delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him intending after the passover after unleavened bread to bring him out to the people and to do exactly what he had done for james and it says, Peter was kept in prison and earnest prayer was made for him by the church. That's verse 5. What is, what is a squad? Well, a squad is four soldiers. And they had four soldiers for each of the watches in the night. And so you, want to, you see he wants to be sure he's well guarded. And uh, we can see that as we read on in the text. But a squad was four. And he had four squads assigned to Peter, one squad for every watch in the night. They're careful, hopefully, that it doesn't work, but they're careful, trying to be careful that these guys don't mess up and fall asleep or let the prisoner go. But watch this, just kind of like chapter 5. It says this, Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night. Now this amazes, this is amazing. You know, earnest prayers being made for Peter. He's in being guarded by a squad of soldiers. He's chained to them. And, and two were out guarding the doors. It says Peter was sleeping. Peter was sleeping. And he's either worn out or he's rested in Christ or he's can you imagine being in that situation, chained to two soldiers, about to be brought out? You know your time is about up, and you're asleep? Well, he knows this very thing. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Cut my head off or crown it. I win, not because of me. I'm nothing special, but because of Jesus. So it says that he's there sleeping between two soldiers. He's bound with two chains, not just one. And sentries are guarding the door. Listen, there's no way he's getting out, right? <clears throat> Normally speaking, yes. 
But look what happens. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter on the side and woke him. It's a pretty good, pretty good blow there. He strikes Peter on the side and wakes him up. Now, he doesn't know he's awake. We saw that in the story. He said, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. This not figurative language. This is not anything like that. This is a real historical narrative about what happened. The angel said, get up. And the chains, he got up and the chains fell off. And even though it's going to cost them their lives, the, the soldiers are asleep. And they don't wake up. And that's God at work. In verse 8 it says, The angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. In other words, get ready to go. And he said, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And now watch this. I love this insight. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. As far as Peter knows, he's still chained to the soldiers. He thinks he's seeing a vision. He's probably wondering, what's this about? And it says this, when they had passed through the first and the second guard, nobody's seeing them, they came to the iron gate of the city and it opened I mean, you know, we have a lot of automatic doors. These, those aren't, don't, you'll run into them. But you have a lot of automatic doors. You step on the sensor and it opens. Well, that's not this. Angelic in intervention, these doors open. And out they go. Angel leading him out of captivity. It says they went out, and I don't know how far they went. It says, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. I don't know how much farther he walked, but it says when Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. I'm sure I've been delivered. And what does he do? Instead of running out of town, he goes to the believers. Now, notice a few things. It's late at night. These people are not asleep. They're praying for him. It's late at night. He's been delivered. He goes there. And listen, he's not delivered because the church is gathered going, Lord, we trust you to set him free. We claim it. We know it's your will. They don't even believe it when he shows up. He doesn't believe it till he's outside the city. They're just interceding. God have mercy. God help. We don't want what happened to James to happen to Peter. They're, they're praying and they're serious about it. And they're up late at night. And he says, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary. It's John Mark's mother. It says the mother of John whose summer name was Mark. Where many, not just a few, many were gathered together and praying. They're praying for Peter. I heard this I heard this story one time where this group of people were gathered together and they're and this doesn't happen very often. They're gathered together and they're praying for this man who is in the crack house and they're praying for his his salvation. They're praying for him to be delivered. And in the midst of that prayer, it was kind of one of these prayer meetings. It was a long and ongoing prayer meeting. In the midst of that prayer meeting, they are praying 
And they hear the door open in the back of the building. And that man walked in with tears in his eyes. And said, I need help. These people are praying for Peter. And he's been delivered. And it says he knocked on the door of the gateway. And Rhoda comes running out. And she hears Peter's voice. And she's like, and she doesn't let him in. And she runs in and says, Peter's here. And they're saying, lady, you're cracked. We've been praying a long time. You're pretty sleepy. You probably had a dream. And she recognized his voice in her joy. She just doesn't know what she's doing. She runs in and reports. And they said to her, you are out of your mind. <laughs> you are out of your mind. That's not Peter there. You know he couldn't escape God's at work and he's teaching them too. But she keeps insisting, verse 15, that it's so and kept saying it isn't. They said it's his angel. Because it can't be Peter. And imagine Peter. He's still knocking. She's all, come all the way to the door. Nah, off she's gone. They're in there going, you're nuts. And he's like, gosh, girl, come on. Peter kept knocking and at verse 16 when they opened it they saw him and now they're amazed and freaked out. But he's like, okay, calm down. Verse 17. He motioned with his hand for them to be quiet. He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison and he says, tell, and he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. And then he departed. The James in, in verse 2 is a different James than this James. This is James, the brother of our Lord. In the second mention, the one that wrote the, the epistle of James, who had become a leader in the church in Jerusalem. Brother of John killed, brother of Jesus still alive. And Peter says, tell these things to James and the brethren. And then he left, and you can't blame him. He went to, it says, another place. Now watch this quickly. I'm going through these things quickly. It says in verse 18, when the day came and there was no little disturbance among the soldiers. <laughs> Imagine that. You're a soldier. You're a Roman soldier. You're to guard this person with your life. So you have chained yourself to him on both sides. I don't know which one of them woke up first, but imagine that when you go. <sighs> what in the world is going on? The chains are hanging there. But Peter's gone. And it says, I know how I know I love how they play this down. There was no little disturbance. It wasn't a little disturbance. It was a it was a hollering fit. Good old southern lingo. And it says, after Herod had searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. And he goes to Caesarea. So Peter is not put to death, the ones that were guarding him are put to death by Herod, who, like I said, murder runs in the family, and this was really sort of justice for these guards, even though it really wasn't their fault. The angels delivered Peter, but they were responsible under the penalty of death. So we see in this text, you see James delivered through death and killed by Herod, and you see Peter set free by God through the intervention of angels. And they were both God's will. They were both God's will. 
a little bit of application as we're ending up. Listen, listen to me. Listen to me. It is not always God's will to deliver you from your trial. And it is not always God's will to deliver His children from death. James is an example. And in fact, if you want to go read Mark 10, 39, when they, he and John were talking about seating at the right hand wanted to be the greatest. And, and he, he actually predicts James martyrdom. Jesus does in Mark 10, 39. He knew exactly how he was going to die and exactly when he was going to die. Now, pay attention to me if you've been asleep for the whole time. Jesus knows exactly when you're going to die. You have a day. Okay, okay, the preacher got us here for a baptism and now he's trying to freak us out. Now it's just applying the text. Psalm 139.16 says this, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. He, Jeremiah talks about knitted together in the mother's womb. Now watch this. In your book, God's book, were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when, yet, when as yet there was none of them. Every one of my days... Acts 17, exactly where I would live. Every one of my days and your days and David's days were written in God's book before there was one of them. He knows the exact day of your death and He hasn't told you. Aren't you glad? Act as though He did. And now act as though it's today. Prepare for that. I mean, what you're seeing in people being baptized this morning is people who have prepared for that and who are trusting and resting in Christ according to their profession. They're trusting and resting in Christ for their salvation. We too, if Jesus tarries, will be delivered through death. If Jesus doesn't return before then, you will pass through the gates of death. But you can trust Him because He says to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. Listen to me, if you're not in Christ, if you're not trusting in Christ, if you're counting on your own self being good enough or God accepting you because you're better than Hitler, or some other, that won't work. If it, you know, Why should I let you into my heaven if your answer is anything other than Jesus? You don't have the right answer? I just warn Sometimes we're delivered through death. Sometimes we're delivered from death. And Jesus is the primary example of being delivered through death. He had to drink that cup. He had to take that condemnation so that His people would not have to. So He went to that cross and died willingly as a sacrifice for our sins. Saying it was finished before He gave up His spirit. Lay in that grave and was raised the third day. And he was delivered. Hebrews says so. He's delivered through death. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But it's not always God's will to deliver us from things, especially death. It's most of the time God's will to deliver us through them. And to grow us through them. Second point. Look at me. Angels are real. Angels are real. Fallen angels are real. And holy angels are real. And believe me, this was not a fallen angel delivering Peter from the jail. Angels are real. 
They're created by God, just like humanity, to serve Him and to glorify Him. I often wonder what it's going to be like to talk to my guardian angels. Because I know a lot of times as I was growing up, they were like, here we go again. Boy, I hope this boy knows. I mean, I can remember times when I, as a lost person, one of the times when I was going 135 miles an hour and, uh-oh, there's a curve and it's raining. Trees right in front of me. Next thing I knew, I heard a bark. I'm around on the other side of the curve in the middle of the road. God had mercy on a crazy person. Don't try that, kids. Even in my lost state, I said, thank you, God. And then I hit it again. <laughs> Dumb. But angels are real. Do you ever think about that? Listen, I don't want to raise the hand. Angels are here this morning. If you Go read a story. 2 Kings chapter 6. Elisha and his servant. And his servant. Can you turn me down just a tad, Ian? I'm echoing a little bit. Elisha and his servant. The Syrians are coming. Because Elisha has been telling the Israelite king what the Syrians are going to do. And he's been told that it's because of a prophet. So they're coming to get the prophet. And Elisha's servant is freaking out. Because he sees all the armies. And Elisha's basically, Lord, open his eyes so that he can see. And when he opened his eyes, it said he saw chariots of fire all around them. More with them than coming against them. And they were delivered. I'll let you go, go read that in, in 2 Kings 6 if you want to. Angels are real. They're here this morning. They are assigned to minister to those who will inherit salvation. How do I know that? Look quickly. Hebrews 1, 3, 13 and 14. And this is in chapter 1 in Hebrews. He's comparing because the Jews at that point sort of there was this, this false religion going around that included worship of angels and elevated angels to a place they, wasn't, they shouldn't have been. So Paul or, Paul or whoever wrote Hebrews <laughs> is contrasting between the sun and angels. And so at the end of the chapter, he, he puts angels in their proper place. And if you look in Hebrews 1, 13 to 14, he says, To which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Answer, none of them. He said that to his son. Now look, verse 14. Are they, who? The angels. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of, of those who are to inherit salvation. If you're believing in Christ this morning, if you're trusting in Christ, you have angels assigned to your case, ministering to you who would inherit salvation. I know I would have never made it to that point in my age of 26 if it hadn't have been for that. But angels are real. God is real. Fallen angels are real. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. That was talking about the evil one. Some of us sometimes have a more naturalistic mindset and don't believe in the supernatural. Very bad mistake. Metaphysical reality. Angels are real. Number three, I'll move on from that. If you want to talk about that, we can. Wicked rulers seem to succeed sometimes. 
Herod seemed like he was succeeding. He had killed James. He had arrested Peter. It looked like his diabolical plans were working. But they were not. Just like Saul's and all of the rest of the wicked rulers. They were just fanning the flames of gospel outreach. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, it is said. Wicked rulers only ever appear to be succeeding when they're used by the evil one to try to stamp out the church. And listen, on the flip side of that, John Calvin said, when God wants to judge a nation, He gives them wicked rulers. America is clearly under God's judgment right now. That's not my message. But I thought I'd at least mention that if I hadn't hacked you off yet. <laughs> not trying to. Wicked rulers only seem to succeed. Think about Satan. He only seems to succeed. And it must be mighty frustrating. There's a devil, but he's God's devil. He's on a leash. He can only go so far as God lets him. And everything he lets him do serves God's purpose. And he will eventually be thrown into the lake of fire. Acts 4, 27 and 28 says this, For truly in this city, Jerusalem, they're praying, were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod, wicked ruler, and Pontius Pilate, wicked ruler, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel who had wicked rulers. Now look what it says. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They thought they were stamping it out. They're actually serving the purposes of God in crucifying Jesus because that would be where the atonement would be made to save His people. And it happened just exactly as God's plan had predestined it. So the wicked rulers then and the wicked rulers now only seem to succeed. But they can never defeat God nor His purposes. Someday if they cut mine or your head off for being faithful to Christ and the gospel, they haven't succeeded. They've only set us free. So that's why I say crown it or cut it off. I win. Not because of me. Because of Jesus. Paul said to live as Christ is to die as gain. If you'll embrace this, we could think about the cross. That seemed to be a defeat. The disciples owned it as a defeat, didn't they? They're hiding in the upper room. They didn't understand at that point. Until on the third day, God raised Christ from the dead. And a woman comes to report. They won't believe her. A woman's testimony was not acceptable in court. At that point. They think she's crazy, just like they thought Rhoda was crazy here. But it was true. And they ran to the tomb. And eventually Jesus is in their midst after He was raised from the grave. See, the wicked rulers only served God's purpose. They didn't succeed. And they're not succeeding now. Rebel against the existence of God all you want to and rebel against His Word and His plan all you want to. You will not succeed. You're only harming yourself. And just like that cross seemed to be a defeat, but it wasn't. Everything God has purposed, He will accomplish. I'll end here. God rules over all. And always, always, always accomplishes His purpose. What looks like a defeat, even though many times it's really hard to understand, when really hard trials hit our lives, when we lose loved ones, when things like that happen, it's hard to understand how that's good, isn't it? 
We don't have omniscience. We can't grasp it. And it's real pain and it's okay. But we can know from God's word that he's with us, for us, in control. He's taking us to somewhere good. What, what in your life look, right now looks like or feels like a defeat? Feels like God's not there. He doesn't care. It shouldn't be this way. We all have things like that. It's not going your way. It's painful. It's confusing. This is walking by faith and not by sight. When you take it though and know that he's accomplishing his purposes in your life. That he's sovereign. He's with you. He's for you. You always have far better than you deserve. And he will either deliver you from death or through death. If a believer. If you're trusting in Christ in Christ alone. But he's accomplishing his purpose. Psalm 115 3 says our God is in the heavens. He does most of what he pleases. He does all that he pleases. He does all that is in accord with his plans and his decree. He does all that in his accord. Isaiah says he says I will accomplish all my purposes. Including his purpose for you. Romans 8.18 says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. Paul was seeing it by faith and not by sight and helping, trying to help us, the believers in Rome, and in us, this being the Word of God, take it that way. See, we can know whether we are delivered from death through death. It's good. We win. Why? Because Christ won and does win. Christ died to pay the penalty for our sins. He was delivered through death so that we might not suffer eternal death. Condemnation. He took our death upon himself so that death for the believer now is just a shuttle ride to glory. Ushered into Christ's presence by his angels. No more tears. No more crying. No more pain. See, what we're seeing today as we see baptisms is we're seeing a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's a sign of union with Christ. Immersion is not the only mode, but that's the mode we think best pictures the gospel, so that's the mode that we use. But it, it pictures union with Christ so that when you believe in Christ, you can know that you are united to Him and all of Him and all that He has accomplished. Paul says that you are, in, in Romans chapter 6, united to Him in union with Him in His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And raised to newness of life. So baptism is a picture of our union with Christ. It's a promise that everyone who trusts in Christ is in union with Him and is cleansed from their sin. It is a profession. Those who are being baptized are professing their faith in Christ. Raised to new life. Raised to real life. Raised to eternal life. Delivered from eternal death through the death of God's Son. Gave His life so that we might be delivered through His death. Are you trusting in Jesus this morning? A Philippian jailer we'll see later says, What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, which means trust in Him. Place your hope in Him for salvation. You can't work and make yourself good enough. You can't earn it. You can't clean it up. 
you turn and trust in Jesus. And He forgives you. And gives His righteous standards to you. Makes you a child of God. Grows you in grace. Takes you all the way home. He gave His life to deliver us from eternal death to His death so that we would give Him our lives. One of the missionaries that I talked about when in the introduction was Jim Elliott. And he said this, young man, wise beyond his years, wouldn't have a lot of years. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. Turn and trust and rest in Christ. And child of God, angels will guard you until the day marked out for you. And then they will escort you home into the presence of the Lord. Peace and joy and satisfaction in Him forever. That's why Paul could say, for me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. Yay! To die is gain because Christ is life because He has taken our death and defeated it. He has paid the penalty for our sins. He has been raised from the grave. Listen to this. The most provable fact in history if you don't use a double standard. Christ has been raised from the grave proving it's all true. That He is the Son of God. The sacrifice for our sins. And that He gives salvation as a free gift to all who trust in Him. Those you will see baptized have professed that they are trusting in Him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would comfort us and deliver us from the fear of death as your children so that we can really live. Lord, those who are saved, I pray that they would find comfort in Christ this morning because he has lived for us. He has died for our sins. He's been raised from the grave. He's reigning for us and he's coming again someday. Those who are not trusting in Christ, I don't know who they are, even if there are any in here or who will listen. But if there are, Lord, grant them to repent of their sins, to turn from loving self and loving ways that are against you and to turn to you by your working in them and to trust and rest and receive Christ, to call out to Christ for salvation, knowing that you answer that call. So save those who don't know you, convert them. And grow those who do know you. And even as we watch baptism, if we're not being baptized, may we be reminded of our faith and of our union with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And groan in grace, even as a result of watching someone else be baptized. Lord, uh, we thank you for the privilege. We pray for your blessing. And we cry out for your help. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.